<laughs> it's a complicated moral decision, but I would not trust, like, a five-year-old to have reality-warping powers. And as much as it's, like, a crime against our, like, sense of humanity and morality, like, I would just kill that baby. I don't know what to do. Um, that's one of those moral dilemmas. Hey, everybody, it's the yeah, maybe. fucking On Air Book Fair podcast. I'm Jay. I'm Miles. I'm Daniel. And we're gonna do the claps right now to synchronize, okay? So three, okay. two, one. And we should be synchronized, ladies and gentlemen. We are, uh, we've had a lot of conversations right now, so yeah. someday if we ever have a Patreon or something, we're gonna have, I, I am sitting on, like, a lot of, good, like, maybe not good, but just lengthy, uh, extra bonus discussions. And, yeah, um, yeah, we got off on a lot of digressions. Did you keep in? I I don't know if I've listened to the last episode or not. Did you keep in us talking about the new Space Jam movie for like twenty minutes in the last episode? I I put in. It definitely opens with us talking about the Space Jam movie, but not a lot of it. That's also kept aside. And also, admittedly, I as of this point, I have not finished editing. That explains okay. why I haven't listened to it yet. I know. So keep an <laughs> ear out. Um, it's been busy, dude. It's busy here. I gotta yeah. fucking. I gotta. I got a baby pit bull puppy that's constantly, like, it literally just last night, like, pooped in a carpeted area, which is the worst, mm -hmm. and, like, chewed through both my toothbrush and a vape pen that had, well, things that a dog should not be consuming in it, and, um, I mean, you know, God bless, he didn't bite into the frickin' battery and cause the damn fire in his mouth. Um, if you need, like, a carpet scrubber or something for the poop on the carpet straight up hit up my mom i'm sure she'd let you borrow ours we've got steaming things and all i just i gotta figure it out but it's the on your book fair podcast and we're here to talk about the last third of the first redwall book by brian jakes about yeah. uh fun mice that go on to uh, adventures we learn a little bit here and there about uh siege warfare which is interesting so yeah, yeah we learn we learn a bit about siege warfare but also how it, to do it yeah, how not to do it, really. Um, <laughs> this this last bit of the book is very much just... It feels like he needed to wrap it up and just decided to make Clooney incompetent the whole time. Like, it, he stops being clever like he was in the middle bit of the book and just kind of, like, he rapidly devolves into paranoia and madness. Like, yeah seemingly from the end of the last section of the book to the beginning of this one it's just like oh and now suddenly Clooney is wandering off and talking to himself and not doing any strategizing whatsoever okay yeah but kind of I disagree on this I think like his mental deterioration was like keyed up pretty early with his obsessive dreams about mm -hmm. uh the warrior mouse slaying him and it did certainly seem to accelerate on this because like his army has and the siege uh tactics that they've been doing have been beset like time and time again with extreme failures and you've described as like uh Clooney's incompetent um and he's planning poorly but like when I see what pans out with his uh strategies I'm just like well that actually seems kind of like it would have made sense except the mice of Redwall and the woodland creatures defending it like for some reason are just always getting one on him. I described in the last one, like the whole, like, you know, get a plank to carry people from the tree to the uh, wall of the abbey. Like that wasn't itself a bad idea, but like mm -hmm. some guy, some old dude in the abbey had just so happened to be like, that tree is shaking in the wrong direction. You better stop him. And they just fuck him up. And mm -hmm. all of the plans uh, that Clooney's army has are like feasible, except the, the creatures of Redwall Abbey just totally catch on to it right away, sometimes accidentally. Mm 
yeah. guess that's fair. It's less that he's incompetent and more that they are hyper-competent. Mm-hmm. Yes, every, that's, that's how I would describe it. Every good it, idea he has is immediately thwarted and... You know, I noticed the incident a... with the soup pot. The soup pot. The soup pots was a whole thing, because, like, yeah, and the freaking the burning tower, that was a whole mm-hmm. thing, too. We're going yeah. to get to it, but yes, it was, um. And a, a direct attempt on his life for the first time. All seemed like normal siege warfare tactics that, like, might have worked, except the red wall creatures just keep winning. They just always be <laughs> fucking dunking on uh, Clooney's armies. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So this section. Last time we left, uh, Matthias was in the mouth of a cat after being led to this barn by uh, some shrews. Yeah. Uh, and that was a good cliffhanger. Yeah. Yeah. It was. It was all right. It was dissatisfying as we learned whenever we jumped in here. But this this section of the book opens with a little bit more stuff with Clooney's army, and it was mostly just him like re orienting supplies and like checking back on the tunneling effort and everything there was so much time devoted to just okay is the is the tunnel is the tunnel done yet is, is the tunnel done the tunnel's almost done just, oh the we're working on done. it boss we almost got it we're a couple we're you know about a quarter mile out from where we're supposed to be in the abbey and you know we're my so a quarter mile is like a big extremely long distance <laughs> yeah. yeah um but they're 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 tunneling and they're working with that Mm-hmm. And, and doing the battering ram. Yeah, they're working with the battering ram. Except the battering ram fucks up because <laughs> they they dump they they drop a a hornet's nest on it, which raises another scale question. Yeah, because if the if the sparrows are eating bugs, like satisfyingly, that means bugs must not be too too small. But also, if this if one of their barrels can hold an entire wasp nest. Wasps must be pretty small, right? You would think. Or the barrels but, but then also, large. Like, but if then it's also, the scale like, of, like, a... The bees can talk to the shrews at the end. Like, the shrews are learning the bee language, so bees must be sizable. Or if they're just really small and they happen to be intelligible in their buzzing. I guess. I don't know. I mean, relative to a shrew, a bee is kind of a large bug. I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen a shrew, but they're real yeah. small. I mean, a bumblebee to, to compare... would be half the size of a shrew, Alma. Okay, maybe a little less, but... I, th- I think to compare the size of, like, our human scale, I think a hornet in this context would be, like, the It'd length like of, the your size of your arm, Like, the size of... Yeah, the size yeah. of, like, a gourd. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. A, like, a pretty significant, like, and if that thing stings you, that's legitimately, like, a big knife full of poison. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but then you factor in, like, okay, this barrel. Say it's a big-ass, like stereotypical naked person wears it over them huge ass person sized barrel to them and the wasp nest takes up like the whole thing mm-hmm. how many gourds can f- how many gourd sized wasps can fit in there like seven maybe yeah. Yeah. i was seeing this as like not like like a much bigger barrel than just like a you would wear this if you're naked barrel but at the same time kilconey the ferret was wearing it as a drum earlier it's the same barrel. Oh, it's the same barrel. Okay. Yeah, because Jess goes and grabs it and says she has an idea and scampers off with it. So it's big enough for a ferret to carry it. The scale, I mean, at some point, like, I just always sit, suspend my disbelief and just roll with whatever scale is being suggested at the moment. <laughs> yeah, the point because... is that there were... The... Yeah. 
but the point is that there were enough wasps in it that some guys were just stung to death yes yeah and then and they, then they where, dumped like, a bunch of vegetable oil on the battering ramp so they couldn't pick it up anymore. You could just which is hear the first of many wacky moments in this oh, and that And that was one of like the non-violent counter-siege tactic, tactics, as opposed to the very violent and very lethal counter-siege tactics that Redwall employs throughout <laughs> the course of this. Like, this was uh, the section of the book that most challenged Redwall's status as a pacifist enclave. Mm-hmm. They really let them yeah. fucking have it. Like there was mm-hmm. a there was a hell of a lot of blood in this. Yeah, yeah they I mean, they've been killing fools this whole time, but they oh, they yeah. stopped saying anything about trying not to kill this this section. Mhm. It's I mean it's funny cuz I don't know if I meant I probably mentioned this in a previous episode, but uh later on, many many books down the line, uh there's a warlord who one of his advisors tells him to, you know, there's this abbey of peaceful mice, we can go take it and he like Pulls him aside and he's like, are you kidding me? That whole peaceful thing is an act. Do you know how many enemies, that, how many villains they've killed over the years? No. <laughs> they're, they're dangerous. Yeah. But they're pretty fucking ruthless. This is where they start. Yeah, it, it sure is. <laughs> um, but then we zoom on over. It, I forget, do we, get, do we get the field mouse person at the end of this little bit of Clooney's time? I don't think so. Um, I think that comes later. Yeah, the... The, oh, the Dormouse? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Dormouse. Uh, yeah. With, the, with a name that you... We can tell sometimes that he made up names as he was going. Plumpin is one of them. Uh-huh. Plumpin, Plumpin the Dormouse. <laughs> oh, you mean like Lugalug? Lugalug, yes. Lugalug. Lugalug, <laughs> yep. And then um, decided it was because he, he you know, uh, captains logboats that are just literal tree logs. Yes. But then we zoom on over to Matthias, who's getting swallowed by a cat, and they get spit out because, oh, gross! I don't like red meat. I'm, I'm a, I'm a very, very, very proper cat. <laughs> yes. I, wasn't that exactly how Fievel goes west? Like established the uh, non-mouse-eating cat. It'd be like, ew, I hate the ew. I think he's, I'm a, yeah, I'm a vegetarian, so. don't you know? Oh no, not like that. I mean, I don't eat red meat at all. <laughs> I'm a vegetarian. That's right. Oh, a little fish now and then. But what I really like is some nice broccoli. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, don't make your cats vegetarian. Cats, cats are carnivores. They're not omnivores like dogs. They have to eat meat. Mm. So they established that this guy, uh, the squire. Squire Julian Gingivere. Yeah. And he he, he he kicked out Captain Snow. Yeah, he does go fishing. He kicked out Captain Snow after an argument quite some time ago. But Captain Snow comes back if he... He can come back if he just admits it was his fault. And so Matthias is just kind of roped into this old long-standing argument between these two gay old men who broke up and couldn't reconcile. And live live across the street from each other, basically. (laughs) A couple... A couple of fucking vindictive queens that like will not admit that either of them was the one that left the hummus out to go bad. It, I mean, honestly, the way they talk about it later, it one hundred percent sounds like it was just an argument over what to eat for dinner. Yep. Or who whose turn it was to sweep out the barn floor. And... Yeah. Which is, I mean, I love a little bit of like Larry David characters in a fucking children's <laughs> fantasy book. It's just. <laughs> Just, yep. just a pair of like grudge holding nebby old queers that just fucking 
Like, no, you fucking, and you wouldn't even admit it to me. Be like, I had nothing to admit. You're a fool. You're delusional. You're gaslighting me. But, um, yeah, so <laughs> Gingivere tells Matthias where to, where to go for Captain Snow. I'm like, oh, I hope another tree hasn't fallen on him. <laughs> uh, and Matthias You know how he meets... loves getting slammed by wood, <laughs> that bitch. <laughs> And Matthias goes back and talks to the shrews and like, thanks for telling me that uh, there was a cat in there, asshole. Oh, and, yeah, that guy. And it, yeah. and it follows such a weird train after that of like, oh, well, you know, we are shrews not just in name, but in act. We spend all our time arguing over petty, petty issues and never getting anything accomplished. And it's just like, like you know, the fact that he keeps calling them a union kind of kind of creates this anti-labor uh anti-labor bend to to this like i couldn't stop separating the, or i couldn't stop connecting then just like oh yeah this group of people who is like trying to democratize every every step in the process and just spends all their time quibbling over every single possible issue even though only one of them can speak at once because that's the only way to properly democratize it but they're just they're just yelling and arguing for the sake of arguing and they're never getting anything done like you don't like unions do you brian jakes well <laughs> here's he a was, question what's what is a who who was a uh, management for the shrews that like they unionized uh, against? At this point, like you're, sh you're shown you're shown the union outside mm -hmm. of like any other hierarchical structure, and yep. that actually reflects, I think, worse on Redwall Abbey. But like, what is your? You have some sort of theocratic hierarchy to your ordering of things. I know you have your abbot and your like various uh, brothers and uh, monks but... of the, of the abbey, but it's just like. Why are these guys like so? As yeah, Miles, as you said, like framed like such unreasonable dipshits for having a democratized system. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And Matthias, I've noticed. I mean, he gets really snippy and rude to the shrews for a long time, and I wasn't a huge fan of that. I was like, yeah, he really you, fucking you hated their... the shrews. Mm -hmm. And then they decide the they're friends. Like? How is that? Oh, I gotta look shrew... it up. Shrews are venomous. What, shrews are venomous? They're mammals. Shrews are venomous mammals. At least, I don't know if all of them are. I mean, I've seen them. I they know. got that They got that sort of long snout. Are they really yeah, venomous? They have, they have toxic saliva used oh. for hunting. I did not you know won't... that. That's really cool. Yeah. Toxic saliva. I don't... Is that quite venomous? Or, like, that's what Komodo dragons have, but is that, like, specifically yeah. to So, Komodo dragons do venomous? also have venom. Uh, it was... Yeah discovered it's just a couple of years ago that though they do cause like sepsis whenever they uh bite because of all the bacteria they do also have venom sacs mm -hmm. oh no and, shit yeah, it is, yeah. A, it is a venom protein in the shrew saliva really wish this would have come up at some point in Redwall. i know that we I could, like see them like knew. apply this yeah mm -hmm. i don't know if he knew about that would have been cool i mean it could be it could have been a uh a uh, Megamorphs 2 situation where he accidentally predicts shit way before actual biologists get it. Just like how apparently K.A. Applegate figured out that Spinosauruses were uh, aquatic. Yep. As we described, I think that might have been a shot in the dark. Um, but yeah, I mean, Brian Jakes like, didn't have Wikipedia and in the time of writing this where I could be like, oh, fucking shrews venomous, how does that work? Yeah, but... Um, but then Matthias goes and talks to Captain Snow, who's a real douchebag, 
Uh, huge prick. Yeah. Mm. Like, he made me miss uh, Basil Staghair, which I didn't think was possible <laughs> after the last section where I really turned on him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Matthias, you know, is, a- uh, is able to avoid being eaten. And I'm sorry, there's just three books I've read where a mouse has to go and beg something of an owl. And it usually takes this exact form. Like, Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim, or Poppy in Poppy, and now, and here. So, he he's able to uh, convince Captain Snow to promise him that he will never, uh, was it, he'll make up with Julian, Gingivere. He'll never eat another uh, mouse or shrew as long as he lives. He'll make out with Gingivere. <laughs> yes. That's, yeah, like, yeah. I misheard and, that. I said make up, but, you know, also that, probably. And, um, and he'll give back the probably pointless amu- uh, med- medal. Like, I don't know who's giving out medals in wars here, but whatever. Um, yeah, because he and I figured gave that, that medal was essentially just a here. token. He did, yeah, I, yeah. I figured that medal was just essentially a token of please don't murder me. Yes, it's, more it's... or less. It's just a chain of stolen valor. That's all it is. That medal is just... It's the sisterhood of the traveling stolen valor. <laughs> yep. And, you know, he makes him... He'll, uh, Captain Snow will keep all these promises if Matthias is able to t- get the sword and fight and kill Asmodeus, the adder. And, Which, you know, and Captain Snow is like, no fucking way, dude. Come on. I, yeah, I'll take that bet. It? That's easy money for me. I get to have the, my medal back. All right, I'll go find your skull later, I guess, when you're fucking dead. Yeah. And so then Matthias goes off and he 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 explores through the Chamber of Secrets until he finds the lair of of Asmodeus and steals the sword and then the fucking logalog yells and yeah. wakes up. Oh, yeah, cuz they Yeah, because I think we got they found Gwosim dead. We got a we got a little bit of stuff to get through there like so um Matthias is then like, hey, Shrews, I'm back. Uh, I need you to take me to the quarry where Asmodeus is. And they're like, we can't do that. And then he's like, all right, fuck you. And then they're like, hey, sorry. Uh, we, we just remembered that we have honor and we voted on it democratically. So uh, we're going to come with you. And here's uh, Gwasim. She's nice. Oh, oh, shit. She just got vanished. The snake got her as yeah. they go into the quarry. And um, so... Is the snake's name Asmodeus, or is that yes. just like a verbal, or is, but it's also like a verbal tick that he has that he says it like sort of just as he's sliding around, he chants mm-hmm. his own name, he but says also it while will he like sleeps. He says it while yes, he snores that, his own name. That's why I'm just like, I'm sorry. Is this a Pokemon now? <laughs> is this fucking Arbok? He's got to say his own name constantly. It's the only word he has. But then he started like having full sentences later, but like punctuated with Asmodeus, and it's like. What kind of guy are you are? Um, but it's um, still, so he's a, it's so just he's to drive like, home that like intimidation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I honestly it made think him a little bit comical a, for me. Yeah, I mean, through through at least the first two thirds of the book, I found him scarier than Clooney, like oh, this yeah. giant ass snake who you you never know when he's gonna turn up. And oh he, yeah, going to scare. He actually, I think, he has the most consistent at least semi-consistent scale of anything in the books because he's always fucking huge yeah i i did he like though purport- in his like den he had the tail of a fox which had to have been chicken hound's tail 
Yeah, he had his trophies, that like big serial killer trophy shit. So Matthias is sneaking in through these tunnels and stuff and like finds Asmodeus asleep with, with like his eyes sort of open and he gets like spooked a little bit. He's, you know, fully Metal Gear soliding around the sleeping snake to grab uh, the sword off the wall. And this was sort of that moment where I'm like, oh, it's just the sword. It's not after they after Matthias said like way earlier in the book, like the sword's been there for 100 years, but like it's not rusted. It was literally tied to a a wind, uh, a weather vane. And it's just and they said, like, it can't rust. It's a magic enchanted sword. And then he gets it and it's actually not rusted. And I'm like, oh, I thought that was going in a different direction narratively where like our expectations might have been played with a little bit. And like we would be shown that the nature of the mythology of our cultures is like not really directly descriptive anyway well the problem is there's not time for that left in the book yeah matthias matthias pretty handily gets the fucking sword and sneaks out and be like boy i sure am glad i didn't wake up the snake matthias matthias i found uh guasim her shit's all fucked up she got poisoned out the mouth and she's dead with her face all full of blood we gotta get the fuck out of here and then i imagine the uh cut to commercial shot of like as he's screaming, Asmodeus's eyes just like, shwoomp. Yeah. Yep. That's a commercial. Cut and then he my... just he just oh, hits Asmodeus over and over and over again with the sword, just strike, strike, and a strike, and a strike, and strike, and strike, and strike. And strike. It's like, okay. But, but yeah, Matthias okay. got, like, pinned. They got put in a cul-de-sac, the ass of the bag. And uh, they busted, th- he used the sword to bust through some rocks, which I'm like, that's not good for the sword. You gotta be careful really with that. Really not good for the sword. I they always get forget to like that that's literally... what cul-de-sac means. And, and so he and this, like, other shrew, like, get to another fucking dead end that the snake breaks through and, like, hypnotizes them. But then the spirit of Martin is like, Matthias, don't be hypnotized anymore! And he just goes, swing, and then, yeah, Miles, as you described, the book just says, like, and he swung left and right. He swung for this person and that person and all the people Asmodee has ever killed. And for the love of his friends, the power comes from my friendship. I believe in myself because they believe in me. And guess what? He's dead. The yeah. snake's just dead. That's it. Yeah, it, it definitely does but, a little bit of a, like, it, it does a little bit of a, a, a little bit of a Hobbit thing where it just kind of like, yeah, some violence happened, but it's moving on. It's, yeah. I mean, it is. Then they fought bravely and gallantly for hours on end, and were victorious and slain all of their villains. Yes, but it is. I mean, what's it say? Um, That you know, the the great sword lay against the warrior's blood-flecked habit. Its long, deadly blade crimson in victory. I mean, that's pretty graphic. Yeah, yeah, I suppose. It's well described. Not really relative to the rest of the book. No, it's true. But they do just kind of move along. Yeah. Oh, he oh, forgot. Um, meanwhile, at the Abbey, and correct me if my timeline's off, the, uh, the rats I couldn't have... follow the timeline on this. I, I know. Okay, but like it jumps they, back they and forth between... They skipped multiple days like, during chapters. It jumps back and forth between Matthias' adventures and uh, what's going on with the siege. So at some point in the siege, uh, Clooney's like, hey, I'm going to pop out for a second. I got, I got to do something. And what's-his-face... Is Jeez. one of his like little lieutenants is just like I'm gonna put on his suit and his hat, and I'm gonna be so fancy. I'm gonna I'm the new Clooney now. Would Meanwhile, Meanwhile, Constance is like, I'm gonna build a ballista. That's what I'm gonna do right now. I'm gonna <laughs> yeah, make a, she does. 
Wait, hey, hey, formals, come here. Or no, it's not the formals, the beavers. She's like, hey, beavers, beavers, come here. We're gonna, you and I, we're gonna construct an arblast, and we're gonna pierce that bitch through with a bolt made out of like a fence post or something. Yeah. And she does, and, and she shoots it right on fucking through the tent and pierces Clooney, but it was just some dickweed-wearing Clooney's outfit. Yep. Oh, I want to point out, this is the... She's called the Solitary Beaver. She never gets a name. And this is the one and only beaver in 22 books of this series. What? Because, because Jake's wanted the animals to all be... Um, animals that are native to Europe, with the exception of like things that come from far away, and beavers are native to Europe, but they're extinct in England at this time because the fur trade. And then they came here to also do the same thing. Um, so I surely thought beavers were a North American creature. No, that's they used just to because be that was like a a big part of why the French came in. Yeah, and then because some they of them out of ended beavers. up. Uh, some of them ended up over in Wyoming, and they saw these three big mountains. And they hadn't seen a woman in quite some time, so they said those three mountains, they look like titties. And that's how we got Grand Tetons National Park. And Tetons <laughs> National Park. All those French had no to bring word those beavers that is over. Because, like, all those... Oh, wow. The French had to bring all those beavers... The French had to bring all the beavers over to the New World because they're like, boy, sure love to uh, expand into this frontier, but, like, gotta get that tasty vanilla flavor of the beaver ass. Yeah. It... Weirdly, it disappoints me that that is a thing that hasn't been a thing in a long time. Because that's one of those pieces of information that's just like, huh, huh, that's weird, huh. But it's like, oh, hmm, okay, well, I guess we'll never know what that was like. Like, I don't want to eat beaver ass, but I don't like the idea that I don't know. <laughs> Including the fact... forbidden knowledge. It's like the idea of, like, okay, well, we can have, you know, modern banana candy, and apparently that's what bananas used to taste like, but I want to mm -hmm. know what bananas used to taste like. I want to have Coca-Cola that has cocaine in it. <laughs> I think that, I think, okay, well, you can just do that. If you get Coca-Cola I mean, yeah. and cocaine, you can just okay. make that happen. Yeah, or real American chestnuts roasted on an open fire, but they're so I am curious, you know, the, I think the- I did not know that. I think the beaver's mm -hmm. anal gland vanilla flavoring might be some sort of, like, psyop for just uh, consumption's sake, where uh, people, you can fully internalize that, and every time you see imitation vanilla that you're going to put into your brownies or whatever, you think, like, is it actually beaver butthole? <laughs> but the thing is, even if that's true, you're not gonna do anything about it. You're just gonna fucking eat it, because you trust that yeah. whoever is- uh, pegging beavers to get vanilla juice is, you know, knows what the fuck they're doing. Yep. <laughs> Who's juicing the beavers? Whoever's juicing the beavers for the sake of vanilla flavoring, like, you know, knows what they're doing. And here's the thing, like, if you if you find out the Impossible Burger was made out of crickets, and you're just like, well, it tastes like beef to me, what do I give a shit that it's fucking, if you actually know that it's crickets? Yeah, who cares? Exactly. Unless it's unless it's actively poisonous, what do I give a shit? Mm -hmm. Yeah, or so. it's like one of those situations where it's like, oh yeah, I brought in brownies, but they were made with green peppers, and I didn't tell anyone until just now. It's like, yeah, but what if one of us was allergic to green peppers, dipshit? Yeah. Well, how do you make a brownie out of green peppers? It was. It, it's one of those like classic elementary school science project things, where <laughs> it's just like, oh, I I did this. I bet you thought that it was like that, but I did this. Ha 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 ha. I'd really hate to be the guy that's, like, eating a muffin and then their throat tightens up. And they're like, what's happening? And be like, I'm allergic. What? Is there beaver 
anal juice in this. I'm allergic to beaver anal juice. And they're like, that's so specific. How was I supposed to know? I have a mouthful of notes. Anyway. Oh, no. In this in this case, the beaver's not making vanilla butt cream. The no. beaver's making no. a ballista to yeah. pierce a massive bolt into the heart of a dipshit. <laughs> yep. Who, you know yeah. what? Cheese Thief is getting real annoying, and I'm kind of glad he's gone. But there was Honestly, another cheese, operation. Cheese Thief was indistinguishable for me from any other of Clooney's lieutenants. I've this absolutely lost track of Clooney's lieutenants. They're all just a bunch okay. of different extendable, like, try-hard uh, hustle culture uh, vagabond idiots. And their next tactic that Clooney's hoarding, because they're throwing everything at the... They're throwing every piece of siege spaghetti at the wall. Um, they uh, resurrect the horse cart they rode in on to become a siege tower and they get it there they get the siege tower up against the wall in such a way that like con startles constant not constance uh cornflower who's cornflower is just like hey guys i brought you some soup and there's just like the tower the siege tower is right there she's like oh my goodness and they throw soup on his ass and then they throw a lantern on his ass and it just burns the thing down and i wanted to read um Oh, they uh, threw the lantern. The... I thought one of the people who got burned dropped the lantern. And... No, Cornflower chucked it. Oh, okay. Cornflower chucks a lantern uh, into it, and it's described as, uh, over 30 rats were in the high reaches of the burning tower. Many more were in the middle, and still more on the lower frames. Rats were kicking and fighting each other to get down from the blazing tower. They bit and trampled and slashed. Some jumped while others were pushed, screaming as they fell to the field far below. And uh, as of recording this, we're about two days out from uh, the 20th anniversary of 9-11, which puts this description into stark contrast for me. Yeah. Okay. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Hmm. So that was my perspective on reading this. I was just like, oh, that's pretty gruesome, actually. The counter-siege techniques that the Redwall Abbey is uh, doing is increasingly brutal over this last third of the book. Yeah. Like, really it gets grisly. Yeah, that fucking... They figured out where the tunnel was going to open up and just dumped boiling water down it. And, and I thought has, like, it's... a nightmare where he sees the person who is leading the tunneling appear to him as this, like, liquefied black mass of just, like, burnt flesh. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because they described, like... So I thought, like, oh, we're gonna pour the hot water on them to make them go back in the tunnel. Because that could... It could have been cartoony where they're like, ooh, ouch! Ooh, that smarts! I got a big scalding on my tushy as I ran out of the tunnel. But no, the book describes, like, oh, yeah, they were slain instantly, turned into, like, smoldering, boiling mud flesh goo that poured back out of the tunnel. And Clooney saw, like, one of his lieutenants just fucking... I think it was Dark... Dark whatever. Like, the assassin Dark that had... Dark Claw oh, that had Dark stolen Claw. the piece of the tapestry earlier. Oh no, that no, was wait, Shadow. he was killed. Yeah, that was yeah, Shadow. Shadow was killed. It was Dark a... Claw was a stoat? I think so. Or he was a re... you know, you're right. I have trouble. It doesn't it doesn't matter what he was, right? he got he just <laughs> right? got boiled they don't alive. Have much character. <laughs> he was just boiled alive in a tunnel. Oh, and then oh, they and collapsed the, Wall... the tunnel with like yeah. rocks and shit. And they, they jump on it, like a bunch of us jump on the roof of the tunnel and collapse. Mark, yeah. I mean that's yeah, that's counter is. siege technique. It is that's good, yeah. but it's the most grisly, brutal shit I could have expected from what is ostensibly a pacifist enclave of monks. We 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 funneled a bit of methane down there, and then we lit a match so that their mind blew up. 
<laughs> butane is heavier than air, don't you know? We released a lot of lighters into oh, uh, the tunnel, filled it up with filled it up with gas, and burnt them all alive. Because it's... you see, it doesn't matter if it if it doesn't matter if the, it uh, the burns on their skin don't kill them. What kills them is the methane burning inside their lungs as they've inhaled it. So they'll feel the burns on the skin, but what kills them is the suffocation when they're the brachia of their lungs can uh, no longer breathe through the scar tissue of their own charred flesh. Yeah. Oh, that's fine. Yeah, my, mine fires are fucking horrifying. Um, yeah. <laughs> hey, we're all from Pennsylvania. We've heard yeah, some we things are. about mine fires. <laughs> yeah. You know what I think? I think I haven't. I think I don't know enough about, like, the cruel, brutal uh, extraction mining history and uh, just absolute, like, literally lung-torching... Uh, labor lifestyles i should read about that maybe there's definitely less there's definitely less in our area of pennsylvania but like we also had the steel industry which was not kind to people i I grew up going up to um wilkesbury where there was a town made by miners and my one of my great uncles even once said at a family reunion recently he goes uh yeah, the Lebanese came over, and you'd think we would get involved, but we, we don't mind. We don't do that. No. We, we were not going in there. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> yeah. 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 I will our, briefly plug. Our town plug. was also oh, made by miners. Huh. Oh, right, because you're on the other And steel mill workers, but yeah. Yes. If I may briefly plug, um, Old Gods of Appalachia, I think I recommended it before, but mm-hmm. it goes heavily into the, well, the evil of mining and the... Yeah. Yeah. Even without the dark powers that they write into it. Pretty mm-hmm. brutal. Mm-hmm. Yes, there's there's quite a bit of human evil involved in the mining disasters, uh in that. And yeah, it's it's a fucking phenomenal podcast. Yes. Uh, but anyway, uh yeah, some crazy shit is going on, and then Clooney's uh Clooney's crew finds a dormouse family. Clooney's like, What would you do to keep your family safe? You will you will break into you will break into there for us and let us in. It's like, yeah, okay, this checks out. Why didn't he do this from the beginning? That would have been smart, yeah. but oh well. Colin and so Benko the mouse just like, done this in a heartbeat. <laughs> oh, the uh, poor gullible Papador mouse. Yeah, and he he sneaks in with the rest of the mouse carpenters, and just opens up the gates, and then suddenly like, oh, you know, Abbot Mortimer wakes up with a knife to his throat, and they beat Constance Badger over the head a bunch of times and pin her to the ground with a net. It's like, no, you fucking kill her. You do not give her a chance to wake back up again and regain consciousness. You really should You kill her. Why? The, I mean, so they're brutal and merciless. And that's like, okay, 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 let's go with that. The biggest opposition you have, and you're just like, we'll subdue her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Come on, yeah. dude. Like willing to kill mice and door mice and voles and whatever, but but the giant badger gonna leave her alive. Yeah, the why? The what, one, what do you think? You, what do you the think? The one you creature can use everyone her? in Clooney's army is afraid of, other than Clooney. And even no. at that point, like most to, of them, what, what weren't do you think you're going to like leverage something to convince her to like be on your side? It's totally naive. Yeah, mm-hmm. but maybe they were just the leaving her so that Clooney could humiliate her and kill her himself while she yep. was alive or and like awake and i'd buy that but they also didn't say it yeah um and, and just then, go for can hubris but, though you want to like you you know you want to dab on your ultimate enemy like the big bruiser of redwall abbey mm-hmm. and 
too long. Should have taken out a liability at the. I don't know why. Why, why should I fucking give them advice about like who to execute <laughs> when? Yeah. No, um, good. It's good that they're. It's good that they're that fucking stupid. Yeah. yeah. Um. And then Matthias shows up and he's got the sword and we zoom back like a day, and you know he meets up with uh, Warbeak, who's now queen of the sparrows, and mm-hmm. she's just like, hey, I've got hundreds of sparrow warriors ready to kill Clooney's army. Let's what was the do time this. frame on that? She really usurped yeah. that throne pretty quick, huh? Well, her uncle's dead, and she's the next in line, and everyone likes her. Good yep. for her. We love to see a girl boss winning. Kill <laughs> <laughs> yep. you! Kill you! <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's funny to me that, like, the shrews, everybody says the Sparrow dialect is hard to understand, and, like, I guess if it was spoken, maybe, but I'm like, it's really just, like, I don't know. It's not that bad. It's even spoken it's not that bad i was listening to this audiobook at one point like 1.3 times speed i think today and even then the sparrow wasn't wasn't bad <laughs> yep but, but yeah warbeak has an army and logalog has his army and and then they just sort forces. of fuck off and and matthias goes by himself because they're like well i've got to go shore up numbers so bye and like okay that makes a certain degree of sense but also they don't make any plan to actually like meet back up they're just like, all right, I'll see you at Redwall Abbey. Like, yeah, but when and where? Where yeah. where and when are you regrouping? You'll know when <laughs> we give fi- the signal. You'll know what it is. it's fine what because Matthias walks in at the exact right moment to keep people from dying. Uh, kind of. Because Abbott Mortimer finally decided to do something about this. And he stands up and then gets immediately hit by Clooney's poison tail spike. And that's when Matthias shows up and... He kills Clooney uh, while well, he fights with Clooney, and then they climb up the bell tower. Meanwhile, this mm-hmm. whole wait before before, before we talk about the bell tower. I was uh, I happened to be in a nice cuddly situation. I happened to be reading this final confrontation out loud, and there was quite a like cinematic description of mm-hmm. the ebb and flow of this fight scene like as opposed to when it was just like and then matthias just whipped back and forth with his sword against the snake and then the snake was dead his head was cut off um they really did a lot to uh uh jake's really did a lot to show like the interplay like of this battle where like and pretty early on like uh, matthias disarms Clooney in the way of like severing the tip of his tails that has the bladed spike and i was just like okay okay this is different and they're like thinking about each other's like capabilities for a second and then it does like what of course any like really good uh i'm on my home turf like hero taking back uh the abbey thing is supposed to do and be like well i'm more familiar with what things are here and like is willing to make certain little sacrifices or gambits where um clooney has this confidence that he can overcome matthias no matter what but Matthias like goads him into position either intentionally or not to fucking you know big bong his ass <laughs> with the fucking seven seven ton copper orb just <laughs> drops it yep drops an entire bell on him yeah the joseph bell rings for the last time <laughs> it's a death knell and and then they all go to Abbott Mortimer's side. Uh, meanwhile, they're just sort of skimming over the description of every member of Clooney's horde is now dead. Every Everyone. single person. 
in Clooney's mm. horror. Oh my god, death. and they just and they said like, yeah, and some of them like, you know, tried to escape, but you know, right outside the abbey was a cat and an owl that just shredded any deserter <laughs> to the army. And I'm like, wait a minute. I don't know the I don't know the war crimes legalities, but <laughs> I I would think that if you're a pacifist mice people that didn't really want to be in a war at all, that like when the deserters are going, and we found out that they were like coerced conscripts, mm-hmm. where like they were recruited in the army because they specifically were like coerced and held hostage about like, look, we've burnt all your crops and killed all your family. You have nothing else but to be in this army, and you know a bunch of different. Uh, stoats and ferrets of desperation were just like oh shit that's the only thing i have to try and stay alive anymore and then as they are rightfully just being like yeah this this is not this is literally not worth dying for i don't give a half of an ass about Clooney's conquest of redwall abbey i'm getting out of here oh slashed up Mm -hmm. by mouse and owl by uh cat and owl yeah that that did seem just a little bit cruel like i think like i don't know fleeing combatants is yeah. Usually you don't kill those. Yeah, if it's not like if it's not a war crime thing, point, it's at least like a moral too. thing. Mm-hmm. Unarmed I mean, fleeing combatants. Mm-hmm. But, but they were is like, I mean, not to specifically litigate like what is the proper surrender, but like if they were just like sword down, hands up, like okay, thank you for killing Clooney. I didn't want to be in that army. Please forgive me. Yeah. I, something like that would like we. They did. My my point is just that like Jake's at this point did not take a moment to use the military victory of Redwall Abbey to demonstrate their pacifism and mercy. Mm-mm. They just stomped them all out at the end. Yeah. Like why? What? Why wouldn't this be a good opportunity to be like? And then they reintegrated the displaced recruits of Clooney's army into a normal, healthy, and caring society. No. When they ran away, uh, larger predatory animals just fucking tore them to pieces. Well, you see, they allied with evil. It doesn't matter, it doesn't matter, you know, how you're being pressured to do it or any of the socioeconomic causes of it. If you commit a crime, if you side with the criminals, then you deserve to die. It, it does make the argument that, like, uh, the morally appropriate stoats, ferrets, and rats of the Woodlands areas, like, the proper moral thing for them to do was to just be killed by Clooney before they had the opportunity to become corrupted by the recruitment into Clooney's army to then be killed righteously by the the people sympathetic to Redwall. Yeah. It's, uh... I forgot There's about not... this. <laughs> <laughs> and, and as you know we we always talk about like the weird little moral inconsistencies in the scale and the answer is just like look jakes wasn't thinking that hard about it and now we are thinking this hard about it and in this case it is sort of like the moral dynamics of being at war and so mm-hmm. i can't blame jakes for like not really thinking that all the way through especially when it's not like in his head i'm sure it's not like well look these aren't like people they're cartoon animals but like it when you want to like introduce a child to the nature and dynamics and uh moral consequences and considerations and uh what what is it when you like sacrifice something of yourself like morally um, i mean i mean moral, moral compromises moral, yeah moral compromise, compromise. Yeah, sorry yeah. i couldn't think of the word compromise 
the moral compromises of being forced to engage in a war that you did not want but was thrust upon you from endogenous forces such as Clooney's on Portugal on a fucking stagecoach that they had hijacked. Uh, I was just hoping for a little bit more like cohesive statement about like this is how pacifists um, can react or should react or must react to the war of the uh, world being mm-hmm. imposed upon them. Yeah. And it and at the end of it, it's just like, uh, uh, no, they kicked those rats' asses and yeah. got them torn up into bits and fed them to an owl. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about it. You know what? Like, that's not really quite as series... nuanced as I would have hoped. You know what? Animal-centric series does a really good job of uh, highlighting the moral complications of maintaining pacifism or any sort of... Uh, <laughs> any sort of philosophy in the face of an overwhelming invading force and oh, tell yeah no shit <laughs> <laughs> yes yes it does you know in in all fairness to jake's when he realized he had to do a whole ass series um he did better in future books like it uh, characters have legitimate moral crises the first time they kill someone and even good characters who become too bloodthirsty like are written as like other characters are afraid of them and like they have to at least in one case, they have to like she has to reorient her entire life. But yeah, uh, so he he does get better. Um, okay, but, I think yeah. Matthias a little bit and Constance a lot more um, has to have people confront like you've got the stink of death on you, you fucking slain mm-hmm. a lot. Yeah, for morally defensible reasons, sure. But Bryce, does that stink of death linger upon your soul? And and mm-hmm. Matthias through Abbot Mortimer's dying words, takes that on as a permanent position for the rest of his life as the as Redwall Abbey's like appointed killer. Yeah. And and that and, that and whole death th- scene was weird, but that but Matthias's appointment is not my biggest issue with it. Yeah. Oh, you know, that reminds you, you me know, oh, You sorry. know what hurt way more was the pre- in the epilogue was the presumed like hereditary appointment of warriorhood to mm-hmm. Matthias's kid. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Dan, what were you about to say? Cause I'm going to say some oh. shit about Matthias's kid. <laughs> okay. I was going to jump back to, uh, because the whole idea of the weight of being a, someone who kills is something that way back during the scene where uh, they go back to Julian um, with the sword, he has this whole little speech for about like, you know, it's not the sword it's the person who carries it and it you know it is kind yes. of a you know stock sort of speech but and you know i don't think we'll i don't know if we'll ever read it but other books make clear that like julian is not just speaking you know stock phrases okay at the time he was because jake's didn't know but you know he does have an entire there was a, a line a lineage of cats he's speaking from and they did some awful shit to other creatures and each other in that moss flower wood so yeah, that that line that line from the cat like was, um, as he described, like ah yes, Matthias, you are a successful warrior. I want to teach you about the nature of, for a second, of being a warrior, of killing, the tool you wield that you you know adore as a symbol of your great uh, progenitor and leader. This is a tool of death. How you wield it determines the moral validity of like, the act of like being a warrior. Either you like you know be a warrior justice like martin was or you become a warrior for cruelty like Clooney. that added like the moral nuance like in a warning to matthias about you've 
you're fully down this path right now. I'm not mm -hmm. gonna stop you on that. Yeah. This but... is this is my warning about where this can lead you. Or pursuing the warrior's lifestyle, it's morally fraught. Yeah. yeah, but but don't worry because it's fine. He he'll be great because he's a good person. He never loses his temper or acts rashly or has outright racism. Never, no, never. No. And the power of being the most killingest ass <laughs> mouse in all of Redwall Abbey, like, could never alter his perspectives or his behaviors to his peers and the people around him. Because he is not only, like, the most competent warrior, um, and, you know, essentially wields control over life and death to the people in his community, but also is the established reincarnation of their spiritual leader. Mm -hmm. Their fucking god figure, their idol that they worship. I'm sure that, like, the all the questions raised about, like, oh, how are you going to react to this? Are you going to be a fucking psycho? Will power corrupt you? is sort of waved away by like well matthias is like a good guy he's nice he's good he's cool and we all sure sure as shit do love to uh believe that lest uh a small festering crack in his psyche spiral out of control as he gains power among the the powerless around him yeah and mm -hmm. i'm sure his child who are whose only act in this in, in the epilogue is to attempt to seize that weapon and that power from a very young age. I'm sure that's not going to be a corrupting influence in, in, in his entire development. Jesus Christ. <laughs> they describe the kid like, oh, and okay, okay, because like the, what was yeah. the sword called? Like rat, rat death? blood? Rat, rat death. death. Which and they talked about like, and, Ma and Matthias's son, like, oh, he's such a little baby, such a little babu small bean. And he can barely lift up the faded sword rat death. And I'm like, I don't think you should be trying. I mean, like, keep your kid away from that if you can. Like, yeah. holy shit. Like, they're passing down warrior lineage now. This just doesn't yeah. seem good. Like, by a lot, this seems so bad, dude. Well, I mean, that lineage started in a bad way. Zooming back to the death of Abbot Mortimer, he declares, Oh, Mordalphus, you're going to be the new head of the order. Oh, Matthias, you're gonna be you're going to take our old gatehouse and you're going to live in it as your home, and you're gonna be Redwall's protector. And you, Cornflower, you are going to be his wife and provide him with a child and temper this warrior's heart or some shit. It's like this, <laughs> And Cornflower in that scene was just like, ooh, don't mind if I do. Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, but like it's really weird that like your He's your institutional authority is sort of telling you to be the wife i mean we yes. sort of like saw that of this person of, she's been just like casually flirting with for what like a week or two i mean we of course saw that coming and like if it fast forwarded uh into being like and then a year later uh matthias and cornflower had their first child and i was like oh yeah no that checks out that makes sense but mm -hmm. the fact that the fucking like cultural authority figure of the new mm -hmm. uh abbot is just like and you will be his wife i'm just like come Come on, yeah, dude. I mean, we all saw this being... coming, but like, you shouldn't, you shouldn't say that as though it's a decree of your authority. Come on, dude. She is being voluntold. She is being voluntold. Yep. With his then, dying words, so you know she words. can't back out of it whatsoever. You're gonna, you're gonna go against the man's dying words. The last thing he wanted as his life was snuffed out by the poison of a 
a Portuguese brigand's blade. You're going to deny him that you will breed with the warrior king of your new society? It, like, uh, uh, you know, it's been a stressful two weeks. I want to take a step back and maybe analyze whether Matthias and I are actually right for each other if, or if we just went through a traumatic event together. Because she had chemistry with Matthias at the mm -hmm. beginning. Yeah. And yeah. Matthias went through a huge developmental process for his sense didn't. of self. Because yeah. she, she, she did not exist very much in this book. She, she was there. The Matthias but... at the beginning of this book and the, and the Matthias at the end of this book are two extremely different people. And Cornflower, for as much as she might have been in love with Matthias at the beginning of this book, as implied or like, you know, girl next door, like flirting or whatever. They met at he... the beginning of this book. They did. But, like, by the end of this book, he's extremely different as a person. He has so much more blood on him. His psyche is irrevocably altered. That Matthias, Warrior Matthias, is not the same as Orphan Matthias at the beginning. By a incredible long shots. And the power dynamics of trying to love that person are so drastically different. The idea that, like, Matthias just comes back after slaying a bunch of different evil guys and is just like now you will be my wife we will have children the 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 new the the dying abbot has decreed it i'm just like this is not good dude this does not seem good but this is feudalism colin, at the same time at the same time this is feudalism colin vol tries to play like find the bull rush or whatever it was with with cornflower and matthias just kills him because oh he's trying to undermine the safety of redwall abbey by fucking my wife yeah and by interfering with the proper uh breeding of the heir to the mouse warrior matthias long descendant reincarnation of martin like um like and they establish that like oh and his son will be the next like warrior of redwall as though the warrior of redwall was a a a fucking bloodline passing down thing yeah, as opposed to just some sort of like prophesized reincarnation scheme that turned Martin into Matthias in this one. Mm -hmm. Well, Matthias it, was a, what, was an orphan. So he might've been Matthias or he might've been Martin's child. Well, like a descendant. descendant. But even been, so, but, we don't know. but even so but then he, how many kids is, how many kids is Matthias going to have with cornflower or whoever else? And will all of those kids form like a new cast of, holy knights for Redwall that, like, um, exude, like, some sort of power culturally in Redwall Abbey that teeters into the state's monopoly on violence, I'm gonna say it. I mean, they I are mean, mice. Mice I have mean, a lot of babies. Well, he has to have only one because there's only one sword. What if he has yeah. multiple kids and then they start fighting for that inherited title and position? I mean... Kids would never do that. Children no. of children children oh, no, would never imagine. fight over lineage. This doesn't happen. No, I will say, especially I mean, not when there's a legendary weapon in the mix. In the mix, yes, exactly. I I hope you don't mind a slight spoiler in that the whole lineage thing doesn't doesn't last. It's it's a very Good. short lived. Like future warriors can literally be any creature from anywhere, and. It's, that was actually part of the fun of reading future books was like, you know, will there be a warrior in this one? Is it going to be someone? Maybe it's an otter this time. Maybe it's, oh, okay. Yeah, good. Yeah. That actually institutes some sort of mm -hmm. cosmic meritocracy. Mm -hmm. He should have handed it off to the sparrows next. He should have. 
that would have been cool. Because of all people, it was it was Warbeak that re really proved herself as like being a progressive cultural force of uh, reformation and uh, cooperation. Mm -hmm. And in I the epilogue, and in the epilogue, there was a lot of like really lovely stuff we saw in the epilogue, not just about you know. Matthias's kid like being like, oh, I can almost barely lift the sword that had slain a fucking rat warlord. Um, but yeah, there Matt was a lot of like, everybody else was having a great time. Matt like Silent Mayo. Sam started talking and stuff. Like Warbeak <laughs> is now the queen of the sparrows. And and the sparrows have regular interactions with the Redwallers. I mean, they're like, they're, they're damn near fully integrated into society. You know Matthias's what? Matthias's kid has such a dumb fucking name. <laughs> Matthias Methuselah Mortimer, you were yep. named after the three bravest mice I ever knew, including me. <laughs> and, and, and then what is what is the whole portmanteau of it that was like Matameo? Matameo. Fucking... Yeah. Although <laughs> that on, is one dude. heck of a name to pull out when you need to give your kid the middle name, like the full name, like threat, you know, just Matthias Methuselah Mortimer. Like it has has some weight to it, but you hate having that name. But also, everyone else only has one name. Everyone Basil else is a modern Stag name. <laughs> okay, aside from well, Basil Staghair and the yeah. other and nobility. And yes, okay, yes. Cornflat and oh, just, the church mice and just squirrel. Okay, <laughs> it's just a squirrel. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, is that, that is, is that her name is. or uh... <laughs> That's what she is? <laughs> yeah, because Basil I mean... Staghair, his name isn't hair. He's Basil Stag Hair. Basil Stag, comma, hair. Yeah. No, his name is, his name is Basil Hare, and he took on the title of Stag because he has a fucking hard-on for deer, I guess, and antler. Oh, that's true. Um, we never see deer, but yeah. Seriously, you never deer. In this entire series, not a single damn deer. And also earlier, sorry, tiny side note, Cornflower had goat cheese. Where the, I don't know where the goats come from. I don't know. They never show up. How does a mouse right. milk a goat? No, we, t we talked about this earlier because <laughs> at the beginning they like talk about all the different types of cheese they have and we're like, With what are you ladder. fucking milking cows as a mouse? <laughs> and it's like, and so you can sort of blow stuff off about like, um, yeah, we have cashew cheese. We have cashew milk or whatever that we make in the mm. cheese and you can like make it sort of cheddar-ish. You can make it sort of fucking Monterey Jack-ish. But like when they say goat cheese, that specifically says you got some milk from a fucking goat <laughs> that you are like one... 90th the size of how do you manage that how are you milking that fucking thing <laughs> yeah it, it does allude to in the same way that um Clooney's crew rolled in on the horse carriage it alludes to that there is a human society out here somewhere mm -hmm. that the mice can like get some shit from mm -hmm. or there you know used you to can be get some goat society. cheese off of them i rather like the idea that there used to be a human society out there <laughs> because so it never so shows let's... up so let's draw this out. Is this one of those like uh, things like in Adventure Time where it's like it's a fantasy world, but then you see in the background is like an old nuclear bomb, and you're like, wait, is this a post-apocalyptic future? So is Redwall a post-apocalyptic future where like in the residue of a destroyed and let's not say like post-nuclear necessarily, but like let's say that what Redwall happens is in the fallout of the Black Plague in England. Uh, being like much more pervasive and brutal and deadly where like this is uh, on the corpse of the last of uh, feudal English human society that like the mice are able to 
survive in the margins of and form their own little society where they red sandstone bricks and form their own little castle which when we think about the scale i've been trying to imagine the castle mm -hmm. redwall abbey i think it would be like five feet i think the walls would be five feet high at towers that we uh had seen described in the last episode of this would have been like tall and that would provide a certain sort of scale that that's the highest tower that like the weather vane dusk world had tried to climb but i'm right. thinking about like but then the elm tree and all yeah the the scale hurts your brain if you try and think about it because if they horse drawn cart acted as a siege tower that have been actually approached like the lip of the wall i'm really thinking like five feet four inches about the height of the wall of redwall abbey and i would really love to see um you know how they have like little mini miniature reproduction of what Redwall Abbey might have looked like. Maybe that's where Redwall Abbey t or Redwall takes place in the model village. In the <laughs> in the model village. Yes. Because I, I also <laughs> because like as much as we describe the sort of engineering feat of like moving all of this red sandstone from the quarry that became uh, Asmodeus's lair. Uh, mm -hmm. from that quarry like to the construction of Redwall Abbey where we tried to like we were I at least was racking my head about like how does a freaking society of mice try to build this goddamn thing but like the idea that it was just built by like you know a couple bits like you or I just like carrying bricks back and forth like to you know like one in each hand like carrying a red sandstone brick and like making a tiny little model abbey that uh, then after the fall of humanity and like the in the uh, bonic plague aftermath, it's just like, oh, the mice have developed sentience and they live here. That's my uh, emergent <laughs> headcanon for this, is it takes place in a world where uh, humanity uh, in England has just recently essentially fully collapsed from the bubonic plague. Honestly, I, I assumed that several of these places were created by humans, like Redwall Abbey may have been a human creation that church that the church mice are from that has fallen into ruin that was definitely yeah. an old human place the quarry i, I totally got the sense that that wasn't a mouse-sized church that was mm -hmm. a human-sized church that the rats were living in that was my assumption too and it's abandoned and destroyed now because it was abandoned whenever humans died out yeah there's okay i know a little bit of lore about saint ninians but do you want me to yeah. tell you yeah, okay, yeah go. So Let's do it. It's unclear about how true this is because it's in a song that I think came from a hair later, but so it could have all this could all be apocryphal. But oh, for sure, yeah, a, a hair is a, the epitome of an unreliable narrator. Yes, <laughs> or maybe it was a uh, either way could be apocryphal because so the story I forget the song or the poem exactly, but the story goes that there was a mouse uh, named Ninian living with his wife out on the edge of the countryside, and they had this nice cathedral-like building and Ninian did absolutely nothing useful and finally his wife got so fed up with it that she put a sign on the house that said this ain't Ninian's and many years later they both died long gone to the rest travelers come along they discover this eroded sign that appears to say Saint Ninian's Saint and they Ninian's. said what does this, this mean Ninian's. it's a church and lo and behold I don't like that That's specifically fun, because it. it refers to bits and pieces of church church architecture 
whenever mm-hmm. they're talking about going through St. Ninian's. Oh, yeah. That's why I always interpret it as a joke. Yeah. But, yeah. I like the idea better that it was a human. Because, like, what, they're standing, Clooney's standing on the pulpit at one point, and it's really big. Yeah. yeah. I, and the scale is something we just constantly grapple with. Because mm-hmm. as I fucking teased out at the very beginning of us talking about Redwall, I'm just like, they had a horse cart, and they said there were hundreds of rats in the horse cart, but, like, is that a human-sized horse cart? Who built that? Yeah. I... Yeah. Okay. I I have two questions. Uh, one that I sent you all earlier to think about, and one just, like, general. How did y'all feel about this book? Dan, I know this is the billionth time you've read it, um, but for Jamie and I, it's the first time... I understand why it caught on, and I think as a child I would have loved it. I agree. But I, this is this is the first book, really so far that we've read that I've been like, yeah, this is uh, this is just the product of me not being the target audience for this. I like, I I wouldn't care about reading another one. And I think, I mean, I think that's probably also how you guys feel about Charlie Pone, if I'm honest. <laughs> I mean, if, well, yeah, initially maybe, but after three Charlie Bone books, I'm kind of like, okay, where does this go? Like, let's yeah. keep teasing it out. <laughs> um, at uh, as a, ch- I I agree with you that as a child, I think I would have been really sucked in by this because it's extremely like functional core medieval fantasy, but it's um realistic fantasy. There's not a lot of like magic and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. that some might compare it to like game like early Game of Thrones, where like there wasn't a lot of magic to play with. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I and later on I it becomes more and more and more magical. Um, and I, and as an adult, like I'm of course like teasing out a bunch of pedantic little details about the scale of like, well, are mice living in a human world or where is this? And you can form stupid little head cannons where you're like, this takes place two years after the complete fall of European society by the bubonic plague. Um, but what I did feel about this book was that it is a pretty excellently comprehensive adventure where um, as Matthias is finally rolling into Redwall Abbey again after Redwall Abbey has successfully resisted every siege tactic up until the most recent like subterfuge of like we have extorted like a hostage man to open the gates um, Matthias rolls in with the allies he's made along the way I think we would have liked a little bit more of the allies he's made along the way from the beginning such as maybe if he'd befriended uh, the moles or beavers or squirrels or such. But, like, by the time he's rolling in as the hero to Redwall Abbey to retake it from Clooney's... uh, See him apply, like, his allegiances with the shrews and the sparrows. That that felt really validating of, like, we've... That made me feel like that we have successfully followed along with Matthias from his naive beginnings, realization of a leader and a warrior that he has become in parts from like negotiation and empathy and courage and honestly the willingness to fucking kill such as with Asmodeus so Mm -hmm. I feel I from the perspective of like an adult who like wants to engage with this on its on all of its terms of like storytelling I'm just like this was a good fucking adventure we adventured this whole way and uh, most of it, if not all of it, came around to the satisfactory conclusion of Matthias has built up the circumstances for his victory 
against Clooney's horde in control of the Abbey. Mm-hmm. I can that makes see sense? that. Yeah. And, I, you know, I, I, sorry. I, okay. I wasn't huge on <laughs> Matthias overall throughout this book, but what I, what I do appreciate about it is this is a very good book for setting up a world to play in. Like, mm-hmm. I think if I had read, read this as a kid, then the like outdoor adventuring and playing that I did with my neighbors and my friends would have been informed by this book. I think that I think this created a lot of that and it's you know you can see it currently with like Dan you and I very recently played a tabletop game called Wander Home that mm-hmm. is absolutely just based on that and I think I have yeah. a better appreciation for that game now having read this. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I I will say, I have to admit that yes uh, this did inform my outdoor adventuring games this and Lord of the Rings after the Hobbit shaped uh-huh. me as a human being more than any other book because I was eight. But um, but then this came along, and yeah, I will. I have to also have to admit, out of all, I did reread a lot of Redwall books, but this one I reread the least because it's like it's basically good for setting up the worlds, but all the other and chronologically, it's smack dab in the middle of the entire chronology. But um, the other ones, I think, once Brian Jakes realized. You know, both his writing skills and his, and the world he wanted to make, he just they were stronger and more consistent with a lot of things. Not the scale; the scale is fucked forever. But um, okay, but yeah, a lot of a lot of like the plot and thematic and characterization issues that we come up with. I maybe I'm just you know looking back on those more nostalgically, but I feel like he gets stronger and really hits his stride later on. Where so looking back on it now, I can definitely see like. I still love the world a lot, but I can definitely tell, like, this was a first attempt. And I liked it. I had a lot of fun. But, you know, this, there's a reason it's the one I reread the least. Okay. I think you can see it growing into its own cohesiveness mm-hmm. as the book goes on. Yes. Um, I think, like, early on, uh, he had the foresight to establish, like... Um, here's the known villain of Clooney and here's a sort of more mysterious villain of Asmodeus and who is like in certain ways, like more threatening um, and just set up enough that like he could work from it as he goes through this first book. And like by the end of it, like at at the beginning of it, we can, and as we pointed out, the pedantic nerds that we are um, could see all of the little holes in the cohesiveness of it. But like by the end of it, it is clearly taking shape more mm-hmm. which i like because you're, i mean yeah you're like you're seeing the world form as it's being written and like taking yeah. on its consistency mm-hmm. and and i like that it's you know you sorry i lost my train of thought real quick but yeah it, you can definitely see it unfolding and growing along as you as you read it and things come to, you know i hate to keep saying that it comes to fruition later but it it really does. It's a very, it's a good seed that grows, that, that blooms into a, into a rose. And, and that's great. That's exactly what you hope for out of a first, uh, out of a first entry in a series and then its subsequent entries. That is not always what you get. Um, I, I texted y'all earlier. It's like this, this book has me thinking a lot about series that maybe shouldn't have been series. I, I like that this one expanded out later. Um, but yeah, I just thinking about like books and movies and stuff that 
weren't originally envisioned as part of a series that got subsequent iterations that made it worse. Mm-hmm. Um, what have y'all been thinking about when I... Because I've got a couple, uh, but at Same. least one of them is going to be contentious. My uh, one go-to off the top of my head, um, I'm a big, like, long-time video game follower of the uh, of Bungie's Destiny franchise um, mm-hmm. that had, up until, a, like, a couple of years ago, been trapped in a certain publishing cycle by Activision Blizzard they, that they were contracted with. And um, a couple of years ago had, like, bought their way out of that contract to uh, be more functionally independent in development and stuff. And we're currently sitting in Destiny 2, which was released as a number two of what would have been a trilogy in the, you know, progress of the Activision Blizzard's, like, contracted production of the games. And there's always been a big question of, like, are they going to drop the two and it's just going to be a continuous singular thing? Or, like, are they going to go to three and make it a trilogy? Um, But this maybe isn't exactly the answer to your question, Miles, but, like, this was for me, like... uh, an example of uh, external forces of like wanting a certain structure of like a trilogy of it wasn't the the people making it like weren't really designing it in that capacity and then as soon as they were able to get out from underneath the corporate structure of it like didn't have to abide by that specific trilogy structure and like re-releases and new releases and such but now it's sort of up in the air where like the branding is still so firmly in place with the number two the second out of the trilogy that like what are, what would they do to like disengage that mm-hmm. i i'll be honest i haven't been able to think of a video game series that like started as a basic installment and then got future iterations that i think made the series overall worse um or were just dissatisfying in some way shape or form that like having those multiples makes it less than having a singular i know the upcoming game kina the developers have outright said we don't plan on making a sequel to it and that's that is a rare thing to hear any sort of media property say at this point because like most of our new media is just a sequel of an existing media property which is neat to the extent that like you want uh, creators want something to be so successful that it validates a sequel Mm -hmm. And that the sequel be successful enough to validate a trilogy or an ongoing series as opposed Mm to, um, yeah, with a certain artistic integrity, like knowing when something, knowing the start and finish of something that you want to do. And if you were to close it at that point being like, and there's no number two to this, Mm -hmm. that's it's ended. It's successfully finished. Big respect to Patrick McHale, because that just reminded me of how he approached over the garden wall where they did offer him a second seasoning he said no i've told the story it's done Mm -hmm. yeah and as much as i would love more of it i don't want more of it because it's complete yeah i'm happy just rewatching every october (laughs) yeah it's it's about that time again it is that time sure is it's september 9th right now and i'm about to get i'm like I don't want to watch Over the Garden Wall too early in the fall season because it's not quite as windy and it's not quite as leaves blowing on the ground just yet. Mm-hmm. Oh, you guys get leaves blowing on the ground? Oh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, sorry. My... We have seasons here on the East Coast. <laughs> yeah. my, my measuring stick here calibrated for my sunblasted hellscape is just, you know, I could theoretically leave, like, a window open all day and be fine with it 
So, you know, I'll watch Over the Garden Wall in December. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> no, I'll probably watch it around around Halloween. Um, Same. I may, but... I'll be up in Boston by October, so I may wait and try and get Sarah to watch it. But we'll see. Um, I, I can't wait it. to watch it again because uh, at the critical moment, at the climax of the narrative, it does one of the things that I have realized that I really love in narratives of just the protagonist. Uh, responding to the villains uh coercive machinations and like little manipulations it's just like wait why the why would i listen to you yeah <laughs> like you're t- mm-hmm. like you're trying to help them why, why why do i trust you mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. and, and then he's just like wait a minute you're full of shit dude <laughs> <laughs> wait that's dumb i'm not doing that no, he literally doing says that. wait that's dumb like mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, this th- this it. thought was maybe planted in my head, but by that one episode of uh, Rick and Morty where they were parodying uh, Nightmare on Elm, Dream Levels thing of it, where the Freddy Krueger analog is just like you can run but you can't hide, and they're just like, hey, why don't we try hiding? And he's like, <laughs> you can't hide, and he's like, yeah, but why are we taking his advice? If we could hide, he wouldn't tell us that that that, that would work. So I think we should try hiding, and then it does. It turns out working because it's like. You, you know who's evil, so it's like, why are you listening to them? Like, they're clearly trying to get something out of you. So he's just like, wait, I'm not going to do that. What are you talking about? Oh, like, yeah. I trust you all of a sudden. Yeah. Yeah, get bent. Um, uh, so Over the Garden Wall is a fantastic example of that. Mm-hmm. As uh, far as uh, things that Dan, I think... Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. No, yeah. Okay, I have some thoughts. There's things that shouldn't have gotten more. Um, okay, as much as I love the cosmic you know, millennia-spanning concept of the Dune universe. We didn't need any more than the first book. We really didn't. It just gets weird as heck. I didn't even think of that, but you're right. Um, I didn't read anything past the first Dune book. Um, I was constantly told, like, especially by my uncle, like, you should read Dune. I think you'd really like it. And I got, like, yeah, a that sounds like a much different... Yeah, uh, my uncle Ned, he's a great dude. Um, he's he's got big brain shit, but like he's also a, a legitimate uh, capitalist ideologue. And I'm like, and I read Dune, and I'm like, I don't think we got the same thing out of this. Like, I really <laughs> learned a lot from Dune, um, in terms of like what people want to describe as like a social project. And I think like got something out of it, but I don't think you got it the same way I did. Anyway, I love Dune, <laughs> and then I was just like, and so I started looking up like. What sort of follow-ups are there to Dune? And then I saw the discourse around the follow-ups to Dune, and everyone's just like, no, this shit sucks, that shit sucks, they made a sci-fi original (laughs) series about it, fuck that. You can watch the David Lynch movie, it's really goofy, but like, you know, it's got McLaughlin and Patrick Stewart in it, it can be pretty fucking fun, and I love that movie, I've got it on Blu-ray, it's pretty good. I haven't seen the documentary about Yodorowsky's Dune, but like, you know, I've seen the concept art from Mobius, and I'm like, yeah, can you imagine? But the thing is, um... I don't. I do feel comfortable in, in the position where I'm like, I don't need more Dune. Mm-hmm. I'm comfortable like not reading the follow-up books or sci-fi original series or whatever. Probably gonna go see that movie now that they're doing oh, yeah. it all like you know gritty, grim, dark with Dave Bautista and shit in it. I'm just like, yeah, all right, let's see what happens. Yeah, I plan on seeing it. Yeah, I mean, I liked the other books, but I just they didn't feel as it wasn't the same. It just it wasn't the same. That's the, that's something the... I was I was hoping to get into a little bit with this too is like this is not necessarily a judgment on the quality of those following iterations it's a judgment of whether they were necessary. Yeah. Yeah, and when it comes to the follow-ups to Dune, I'm just like I don't care. I don't need mm-hmm. that. 
I'm not yeah. so like when you get done with Dune, I'm just like, oh, I'm I'm actually thirsty for more of this. But um, in my experience, when you're thirsty for more things, and you try to find like a follow-up media to it, you'll end up reading some of the Drew Carpishin Mass Effect novels, which can be fun. But I'm just like now that, I, and when you reflect on it, I'm just like, eh, like I don't um. The experience I got from just the original Dune book, I'm just like, I think this is precious to me in a way that I don't want to disrupt by taking the risk on risk on potentially like bad follow-ups to it. And so I don't need to. Yeah. I don't care. I'm going to go read other shit. Mm-hmm. And I think you got the, in terms of necessity, you got the impact of had, of like, because uh, Frank Herbert wanted to do, wanted to explore the idea of having you know, human history being altered by these machinations and manufactured prophecies and all that. And you mm-hmm. got the sense of that scale already just from Paul's perspective and life and everything that happens. And so by the end of it, when Paul Modib is just like, I'm going to do a jihad now on the entire galaxy. I'm just like, okay, okay. And I don't need to see how that pans out because that conclusion of like the sort of questions of, where is he going to go with that? What's that going to lead to? It is another big turning point in galactic history. And you don't need to know the outcome of it because guess what? The way that history works is that the outcome of it is just the beginning of the next transition that leads to the next outcome. It mm-hmm. is such a continuous process of history that like there's not going to be an ending to it. So the idea that Mahdib is just like, I'm uh, the avatar of a big fundamental shift to the core social dynamics of humanity in the in the universe it's just like okay and you can see it shift from one thing to another but you don't feel the need to know where it ends because you know that it doesn't end that's how i feel about dune i have no feelings about dune because i've never read it i'll I'll give you my copy it's pretty it's tough because when you start reading it you're just like what the fuck are you talking about none of this makes sense they throw a lot of words at you they throw a lot of nonsense at you, but then once yeah, there's it gets a glossary, your, right? There yeah. is a glossary, and there's like appendices and indices and stuff. But once it gets into your head, you become like a Dune person. You get Dune brain. Um, <laughs> you do. What's what's a, what's a comparable thing to it? Like, have you ever like? I mean, growing up, I always like knew people who really loved the Princess Bride and knew all the quotes and the. Rep- and from the outside of it, I was just like, I don't care about the fucking Princess Bride. I don't know what you're talking about. That's actually annoying. But then I watched it, and I'm like, oh, no. I get it now. Now it's in my brain. Yeah. Uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show can do this mm-hmm. as well. Um, just once you're on the inside of something as a uh, shared cultural experience, you're just like, I've experienced this with Dune recently, where like you'll start getting the references. And you'll start like picking up the weird subtle hints people are laying down and you're like, oh, this is a cult. I'm in a cult. Yeah, it's one of those books that I've had recommended to me several times, but I've just never, I've never felt like putting myself through it. Because it has consistently been described to me as an undertaking. <laughs> it can be. I mean, I read it when I was like 15, 16, so I think... Okay. You got this. No, not like in terms of difficulty reading, just in terms of like moving your way through it. Ah, uh, okay, yeah. That like it's it's yeah. easy to enter but then just like constant resistance. I think if you go in totally dry, it's going to be impenetrable. I think if you like 
watch the Lynch movie or like watch this new one that's coming out and you get a basic understanding of like who people are and like when you know the endpoint of Paul Atreides, Odib, uh, the fucking prophet, um, it gives you a context that when you start at the beginning of the book might be helpful as opposed to just going in totally dry. So this is a context where I might recommend like watch the movie first and the movie will be confusing and baffling, but the book will make slightly more sense. And then once you get through the book, everything will make sense. And Honestly, that's kind of the way I recommended uh, people read A Song of Ice and Fire is watch the first season yeah. of the show and then start reading. Like, That's start reading comparison. with the first book again. Yeah. Uh, but also, I don't everybody. know how often I'm going to be recommending that stuff. Uh, yeah. In terms of other books, House of the Scorpion. Yeah, I've got my copy here. We're going to read this book at some point on this podcast. Okay. I'm I'm going to make it happen. I own it. I'm good. It's a very good it. book that did not need a sequel. <laughs> Especially not a sequel that came like 10 years later and... The biggest problem was she spent so long trying to get the sequel published that she had, like, three more books planned, it seemed, and then all three of those books got condensed down into one book. So it was just, like, this extremely radical three-act structure where each act was essentially its own book condensed down to, like, a hundred pages. And it's it's not it's not well done, and it it cheapens the series a little bit through its existence i understand why it exists in that way but i would have been fine with just this one phenomenal book um so, so this could be the perfect example of what you said where like we can on this podcast read and recommend to everybody else like read just the first house of the scorpion and nothing else because the yeah. first is just the perfect experience of it yeah um you know what, no i was gonna no. say that reminds me um did you know did you ever have to i don't know if you had to read or if you chose to read but the giver Oh, absolutely. Did you know that I there are the giver. four of those books? Mm-hmm. I've only read really the old. first one because, I've read I, because that was what was recommended to me. Uh, my yeah, mom read the it's... second one, Gathering Blue, when it came out, and she was like, yeah, it just doesn't feel like the first. It, it doesn't feel like mm-hmm. The Giver. It feels like a different yeah. series that's just kind of tied to it. Yeah, that's oddly enough the same kind of feeling you get from Messenger, and then, okay, Sun is more closely tied to The Giver, but still, I didn't. I forgot yeah, to mention it. I got it's, distracted. It's uh, head up, headed up by Gabriel, right? Uh, by Gabriel's mother. His, oh, his okay. mother. Yes. And yeah, I mean, that's another one where, like, yeah, the others exist, but I didn't actually need to know about them for a very long time. Like, I thought Gathering Blue was completely something else completely different. Because whenever I saw the blurbs in the, the uh, book order pamphlets in school, I was like, oh, that doesn't sound like The Giver at all. Okay. Book order. All right, y'all. I um, fucking let's... love The Giver. Me too. Wait, um, we should read. We should read it. Yes, but uh, I did want to talk about movies in this okay. in this frame of reference, and I'm gonna real quick mention Jurassic Park. It should have just been one book, or it should have just been one movie. Um, mm-hmm. The book itself is, it's okay, but also Michael Crichton is a dipshit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, giant climate change denier. But my contentious pick, uh, similar to Dune. I would have been happy with one alien movie. If aliens had never existed, I would be fine. And that's not to say that I think aliens is bad. I think all other alien related movies are bad. I think alien three and beyond are bad movies and bad stories. Even though to be fair, I've never seen Prometheus all the way through because 
Two times I have fallen asleep, three times the power has gone out, and the first time I tried to see it, the film fucking melted. Yeah, uh, I was there with you. You we were went there. To the drive, we went yeah, to the we, drive through, and the double projector got of stuck, Ab- and the film melted. <laughs> we saw a double feature of Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter oh, fuck. And, and Prometheus, but Prometheus melted partway through. Um, oh, no. But all those things together have just told me that, you know what, maybe the, like third to half of prometheus i've seen means it's means i'm not meant to see the rest of it and i have read the rest of the story it no you don't need I, to I, yeah. I see exactly I what be, you mean i would alien, be fine with alien being a self-contained story it's a very alien, good self-contained story yes mm-hmm. the original alien is a perfect standalone aliens is good at building off of it and it can be argued that to the detriment of alien as a concept it like established a franchise that could be spun spiraled off into a million different fucking little things that only act as like a sort of detriment like you know complicating and weighing down the legacy of the original alien which was itself a tight and singular movie Mm -hmm. and this is one of those things that i i bring up and it consistently is like why do you hate aliens it's like no i don't hate aliens i don't think aliens is as good as everyone says it is but i don't hate aliens I just don't think it needed to exist. It was unnecessary. You know what is like a uh, proximate and good uh, comparison to this is Predator. There has never needed to have been more than the original Predator. There's a little bit of an argument that Aliens is a really big, uh, good advancement onto Alien, but there's never been a need for anything further than the first Predator movie. I I will disagree with that, Justin, that I still have a fondness for Alien versus Predator. <laughs> oh, of course. No, because because that movie came out when you and I were 15, and that was No, we were hottest. not 15. We were oh, like no. 10. No, I don't remember. Yeah, but we were like, like 10. It came out very the, very early in us being friends. <laughs> whatever whatever age that Alien vs. Predator hit uh, is still four. like uh, just a soft spot in my heart. Like, you know, if I try to think objectively about like the nature of media, I'm just like, no, it's bullshit. They shouldn't have done it. But... For an emotional reaction to me, it was like one of the coolest movies I had ever seen at that time. It felt like, and it is the only movie that it is that is rated R specifically for slime. There is there's violence in it for which and cussing for which it's rated R. But on the ratings board, there was so much gross slime that they thought this slime is so gross it should be a part of the R rating for it. That's how much <laughs> slime there was in Alien vs Predator. An excessive <laughs> amount of slime. Nasty Dan, you said slime. it was 2004? Stinky slime. Yeah. Okay, yeah, so if we would have been like 10. That's um, fucking baffling. Like 12, I could have sworn that I remembered watching watching it like at my first New Year's Eve sleepover that you came to. I I could have sworn we watched Alien vs. Predator, and I know for a fact we watched iRobot. That's totally probable. Damn, I gotta go back to iRobot. Fucking Alan Tudyk. It's it's still really good. It's it's nothing like the book, but it's good. No. I robot still is really fucking good. Mm-hmm. Um. And and for anyone listening to it, totally tinted by like totally emotionally compromised. We are like absolutely just speaking from nostalgia's sake. Oh yeah. I mean, I rewatched it a couple of years ago, and I think it's still good. I mean, there are aspects of it that are shitty. Uh, just like there are aspects of any Will Smith movie that if you look too hard at them, they fall apart. Also, Men in Black. Should have just been the first movie. It really should have been. No subsequent yeah, movie had, had, had. I agree, hundred percent. To it. Yeah. Men in Black was a single movie thing. That's it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
there are aspects of the movies following it that I liked here and there. Um, I, I will say I didn't like International anywhere near as much as I was hoping I would. Uh, but like, outside of a couple isolated moments, the follow-ups just did not re did not capture the magic of the original. Mm -hmm. This is true. You know what? Didn't deserve any sequels, and I wish it would stop having more. Land Before Time just needed the first movie, man. I've never seen anything other than the first movie. I know no, it's got I a ridiculous from number, that. but I've never seen any more. You gotta disagree? I gotta disagree. The first one was important, but the Land Before Time 5... Uh, Is that the one with the baby T-Rex? Yes. Well, no, the baby, the baby T-Rex comes back. And he can speak now, and he has T-Rex parents that he teaches to be non-violent. So, oh, Land Before Time 5, island. The Mysterious Island, had the good songs. Big, 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 big water. It's awfully big, 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 big water. Okay. If, if anyone needs to uh, review the Land Before Time series, you can find the Jenny Nicholson video where she watched all of them during uh, COVID lockdown. <laughs> I need to and, finish that. You know, video. <laughs> talks about them extensively. Um, but there were at most three good Land Before Time movies. At most. Okay. And there were uh, like twenty of them. Y'all, what are we? What are we gonna read for next time? Because we are approaching October, and I had proposed to me by my partner, like I, th that they think it's time we should start reading Goosebumps. We can bank a yes. bit of Goosebumps if we need to. Uh, to go so, from here from here on through October. I remember I remember proposing when we were starting out, hey, based off of our production schedule, if we stay on schedule, which we didn't, but we somehow found ourselves back on schedule. Um, mm -hmm. If we stay on schedule, we will be on track to release three episodes during October. So each of us picking a different Goosebumps book for each of those episodes. Mm. So like one week would be Dan's pick. One week would be my pick. One week would be Jay's pick. Okay. Um, that that is my thought process. Uh, the real question is, originally when we were back on track for a second, we were going to have an episode between Redwall and Goosebumps. But now that we've mm -hmm. delayed by a week, we are kind of rubbing up against that buffer zone. Do we want to just say, okay, well let's record in, uh, let's record in three weeks for the first Goosebumps one, or do we want to like try and knock out a little bit until then? Like, hmm. do we do we want to take something that's a one-off? We should we should get a one-off to finish off September, and then we all start calling in our three Goosebumps books. And okay. I know my Goosebumps yes. books right now. I I, I have some ideas for for some of my Goosebumps books. I I am a big fan of Deep Trouble. Um, I could go with any of the Haunted Mask books because they're good too. Um, or Werewolf of Fever Swamp. Those would be like that's my top three that I need to narrow down for what my pick will be. Okay. Um, in terms of things that are one-offs, I do have that shared Google Doc of, like, planned books. Mm -hmm. What is something in there or otherwise that you would be interested in doing as a one-off for next uh, for next see. session? In theory, we'd be recording Ooh. it next week. Um, I mean, right off the bat, um, My Side of the Mountain or The Giver, I have those. I feel like those are too long to do as one episode. Yeah, this is true. Um, I don't. Mrs. Frisbee also might be too short, and that's I've I've had a lot of mice 
for one week. Um, I mean, we could do we hmm. could do the giver. I mean, we it's it. it it's not a long book, but it is a dense book. Yeah, I, I that's kind I of a know. spiritual experience. Yeah, yeah. I was like that might be a little deep for our. For yeah, for, I had for, proposed for our, some like for, I had proposed for our gap like, between <laughs> Redwall and Goosebumps. Yeah, yeah. I had proposed some dumb shit. I had maximum boy number two. The day everything tasted like broccoli. Because I vaguely I remembered that. that one from my childhood, and I thought, "What? Yeah, what the fuck was that about?" I've never heard of it outside of you putting it in this list. I am okay with this. I, I'm I'm cool with taking that one. I'm also cool with our lead into Halloween being uh, an alternate read of the Bailey School Kids. Ooh, that's an idea. Because it those books very much are them just harassing LGBTQ <laughs> folks. Yes. Well, Alternatively, I, I wanted to. Um, Oh, sorry. Oops. I wanted yeah. to throw into the mix one of the many uh, very short little like novelizations of the lore of Bionicle. Yes. So that's an option. I I know <laughs> that like it's called uh, the the first book I can find is uh, called Bionicle Chronicles Number One Tale of the Toha, and it was published by Scholastic. And I don't okay. know how long it is. It might be comically short, but at the very least, it gives us ample time to discuss the. Uh, production history and cultural impact of Bionicle. Uh, I am 100% okay with that. I'm yeah. fully on board. Um, okay, so for the rest of September, our next book is Bionicle's Chronicles number one, Tale of the Toha. And then we will come back with our selections for Goosebumps through October. Okay. Can you say that title one more time so I can. Bionicle Chronicles Tale of the Toa. I'm okay. also currently looking so that I can see a rough page count. Oh, yeah. That's I, know, I imagine it's going to be extremely short. Yeah, almost certainly. Oh, wow. Okay. Oh. 128 pages. Huh. I'll, okay. I'll read a, I'll oh read a Bionicle novel. Sure. Maybe we should do that. So if y'all, before the next episode, if y'all have the time for it, read the next Bionicle one. Because honestly, and I'm seeing it right now, it's all on biomediaproject.com the fucking archive of scans of all Bionicle's media oh it is, oh, it is on that's, okay. that's fantastic um, and god bless these people for archiving this so thoroughly what they've done is literally just take pictures of the book pages with their thumbs in the corner holding the book open <laughs> oh so you can read this as a pdf but it is not a scan it is literal pictures of each page. That's fantastic. This is wonderful. Um, yeah, I, I'm. <laughs> I'm, I'm 100% down for this. I do also love the Bionicle comics, but that's way too visual for for a podcast. Hell yeah! Okay, we're reading Bionicle Chronicle number oh. one, Tale of the Toa, and you're gonna have to. We're gonna have to really work to not just read the next book because it's all about the Bulrock, and I fucking love Ooh. the Bulrock. I'm going to go find my Bionicles for this episode. Absolutely. We're going to be building them. You're going to hear in the podcast all the clicking and uh, <laughs> crunching of the pieces coming together. Hey, everybody. Thank you for listening to the On Air Book Fair podcast. Once again, uh, we've just discussed the last of the first Red Wall book. And going into this next session, we're going to be reading uh, the Bionicle Chronicles, number one, Tale of the Toha. If you look that up online, you can find archives of it all over the place. This is the one that is absolutely free because of obsessive weirdos like us who care all about the Bionicle universe and uh, toy production history. 
So, if you have any thoughts about Bionicles or what books we should read next, uh, you can shoot us an email at onairbookfair at gmail.com or go to anchor.fm slash onairbookfair and you can send us all sorts of messages, including uh, even voicemails. So, shit. Um, and uh, get ready to watch Over the Garden Wall again. Hell yeah. The temperature's cooling down, you know? It's getting into the uh, mid-70s over here. It's getting cool. We're gonna go. Mm -hmm. And good night, everybody. <laughs>